mythology friends i'm kate and i'm the other jen i'm kim yeah. and we're the drunk dracula girls i almost said mythology on autopilot wow i mean huh. 86 episodes in yeah plus all the patreons yeah yeah it's hard <laughs> <laughs> anyway this is chapter nine of Bram stoker's dracula celebrating the month of drunk dracula gals also called october rocktober man <laughs> drunktober 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 yep um i don't know why we keep mentioning this every chapter maybe there's a reason um dracula is public domain uh, maybe if the intellectual property lawyers you know just pop in mid book you know maybe this is the first episode they're listening to hello intellectual property lawyers we love you and if you'd like to sponsor us or based on what uh, is going to happen in this chapter if you know some <laughs> folks who do medical malpractice. Oh, wow. That sounds exciting. Yeah. <laughs> or not. Who knows? Not. <laughs> anyway, we're off. Back to merry old England. Y'all, just get ready for this recap. I'm I'm still salty about oh. chapter eight. Oh. Like, you're not the only one. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because... First of all, do not ever let Mina fasten a brooch or a safety pin for you because she will fucking stab you without realizing it. Seriously, this is where you get, this is what you get when a man tries to write from a female POV without fucking thinking it through. There is no way you'd never not feel somebody fucking threading a safety pin needle through your goddamn throat or even just pricking it. You'd remember doing it or feeling it. Lucy would probably scream. I'm still, still salty about this bit of stupidity if you can't tell. Anyway. We could probably cure Lucy sleepwalking with a Xanax and some vodka, but whatever. Oh, I, I've got some. I'll, I'll go oh, get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get some super dry letters about boxes and making change. Mina finally hears about Jonathan's whereabouts. And Renfield is just trying to live his best life despite Dr. Seward being a total wet blanket. Anyway, carry on. All right. We're starting with a letter from Mina Harker to Lucy Westenra. And you'll notice it is Mina Harker. And I promise you, this is not an 11-page diatribe like my last one was. <laughs> Budapest, 24 August. My dearest Lucy, I know you'll be anxious to hear all that's happened since we potted at the railway station at Whidbey. Well, my dear, I got to Hull, all right. Caught the boat to Hamburg and then the train on oh here. My God. <laughs> I feel like I can hardly recall anything of the journey except I knew I was coming to Jonathan and that as, as I should have to do some nursing, I better get all the sleep I could. I found my dear one, oh, so thin and pale and weak looking. All the resolution is gone out of his dear eyes. And that quiet dignity, which I told you was in his face, has vanished. He's only a wreck of himself. He doesn't remember anything that has happened to him for a long time past. At least he wants me to believe so. And I shall never ask. Mm. He's had some terrible shock. And I fear it might tax his poor brain if he would try to recall it. Sister Agatha, who's a good creature and a born nurse, tells me he raved of dreadful things whilst he was off his head. I wanted her to tell me what they were, but she would only cross herself and say she would never tell. <laughs> that the ravings of the sick were the secrets of God. Okay. And if a nurse, though, through her vocation should hear them, she should respect her trust. <laughs> she is a sweet, good soul, and the next day when I saw she was troubled, she opened up the subject again, and after saying she could never mention what my poor dear raved about, she added, 
I can tell you this much, my dear, that it was not about anything which he has done wrong himself. I mean, he just let it happen to him, you know, that happens. <laughs> and you, as his wife-to-be, have no cause to be concerned, no VD. Uh, he has not forgotten you or what he owes to you. His fear was of great and terrible things, such as being gay, which no more mortal can treat of. <laughs> Oh, I thought he was cavorting with whores, but apparently he wasn't. <laughs> Mina continues. I do believe the dear soul thought I might be jealous lest my poor dear should have fallen in love with any other girl. The idea of my being jealous about Jonathan. And yet, my dear, let me whisper, I felt a thrill of joy through me because when I knew that no other woman was the cause of trouble. And I wouldn't um, have to shank a bitch. Right? I don't have to get the pin. <laughs> I'm now sitting by his bedside where I can see his face while he sleeps. He's waking. When he woke, he asked me for his coat as he wanted to get something from his pocket. I asked this to Agatha and she brought all his things. I saw that amongst them was his notebook and I was going to ask him to let me look at it for I knew then I might find some clue to his trouble. But I suppose he must have seen my wish in my eyes, but he sent me over to the window, saying he wanted to be quite alone for a moment. Then he called me back, and when he came, when I came, he had his hand over his notebook, and he said to me very solemnly, Wilhelmina. I knew that then that he was in deadly earnest, but he never used to call me by that name since he asked me to marry him. You know, dear, my ideas of the trust between husband and wife— there should be no secret, no concealment. I have had a great shock, and when I try to think of what it is, I feel my head spin round, and I do not know if it was all real or the dreaming of a madman. You know I have had brain fever, and that is to be mad. The secret is here, and I do not want to know it. I want to take up my life here with our marriage. For, my dear, we are decided to be married as soon as the formalities are complete. Are you willing, Wilhelmina, to share my ignorance? Here is the book. Take it and keep it. Read it if you will, but never let me know, unless indeed some solemn duty should come upon me to go back to the bitter hours, asleep or awake, sane or mad, recorded here. He fell back, exhausted, and I put the book under his pillow and kissed him. I've asked Sister Agatha to beg the superior to let our wedding be this afternoon, and I'm waiting for her reply. She's come and told me that the chaplain of the English Mission Church has been sent for. We're to be married in an hour, or as soon as after Jonathan awakes. Lucy, the time has come and gone. I feel very solemn, but very, very happy. Jonathan woke up a little after the hour and was all ready, and he sat up in bed, propped up with pillows. He answered his... I will. Firmly and strongly. I could hardly speak. My heart <laughs> really? Was so Mina, really? <laughs> like, for the first time ever, she could hardly speak. <laughs> my heart was so full that even those words seemed to choke me. The dear sisters were so kind. Please, God, I shall never, never forget them, nor the grave and sweet responsibilities I've taken upon me. I must tell you of my wedding present. When the chaplain and the sisters left me alone with my husband. Oh, Lucy, it is the first time I've written the words, my husband. They left me alone with my husband. I took the book from under his pillow and wrapped it up in white paper and tied it with a little bit of pale blue ribbon, which was around my neck and sealed it over the knot with sealing wax. And for my seal, I used the wedding ring. Hmm. Then I kissed That's it. That's a and bitch to it. clean. Think of your jeweler. <laughs> 
<laughs> then I, where did she get the wedding ring from? He doesn't seem like he's in the shape to go like jewelry right. shopping. Yeah, he went to Jared the gallery. Of- <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jared, gallery of diamonds. If you'd like to sponsor, no, us. no, I refuse. No, no I absolutely not. I no. Then I kissed it and showed it to my husband and told him I'd keep it so, and that it would be an outward and visible sign for us all our lives that we trusted each other. That I'd never open it unless we're for his own dear sake or the sake of some stern duty. Yeah, that's going to age well. Right. right? And he took my hand in his, and oh, Lucy, it was the first time he took his wife's hand and said that it was the dearest thing in all the wide world and that he would go through all the past again to win it if need be. Good thing he doesn't remember it. Right. The poor dear meant to have said a part of the past, but he cannot think of the time yet. And I shall not wonder if at first he mixes up not only the month, but the year. Well, my dear, what could I say? I could only tell him that I was the happiest woman in all the wide world and that I had nothing to give him except myself, my life, and my trust, and that those went with my love and duty for all the days of my life. And my dear, when he kissed me and drew me to him with his poor weak hands, it seemed like a very solemn pledge between us. Lucy, dear, do you know why I tell you all of this? Oh, rhetorical question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It is not only because it is all very sweet to me, but because you have been and are very dear to me. It was my privilege to be your friend and guide when you came from the schoolroom to prepare for the world of life. I want you to see now and with the eyes of a very happy wife, whither duty has led me, so that I am your in, so that in your own married life you too may be happy as I am. My dear, please almighty God, your life may be all it promises. A long day of shine no harsh wind no forgetting duty no distrust i must not wish you no pain for that can never be oh. but i do hope you shall be always as happy as i am now goodbye my dear i shall post this at once and perhaps write you very soon again i must stop for jonathan is waking i must attend to my husband <laughs> your ever loving mina hawker great letter Lucy Westenra to Mina Harker. Whitby, 30 August. My dearest Mina, oceans of love and millions of kisses, and may you soon be in your own home with your husband. I wish you could be coming home soon enough to stay with us here. The strong air would soon restore Jonathan. It has quite restored me. I have an appetite like a cormorant. What? A cormorant? It's a a fishing bird. Oh, okay. Meaner version of a seagull. Ah, and full of life and sleep well. You will be glad to know that I have quite given up walking in my sleep. I think I have not stirred out of my bed for a week. That is when I once got into it at night. Arthur says I am getting fat. How dare you? By the way, I told to I forgot to tell you that Arthur is here. We have such walks and drives and rides and rowing and tennis and fishing together and I'm not going to name the other stuff and I love him more than ever. He tells me that he loves me more, but I doubt that. For at first he told me that he couldn't love me more than he did then. But this is nonsense. You can say that again. There ding, he ding, is. Ding, ding. <laughs> there he is calling to me. So no more just at present from your loving Lucy. P.S. Mother sends her love. She seems better, poor dear. P.P.S. We are to be married <laughs> on 28 September. 
bitch, how dare you get under the line before me? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Dr. Seward's Diary, 20 August. The case of Renfield grows even more interesting. He has now so far quieted that there are spells of cessation from his passion. For the first week after his attack, he was perpetually violent. Then one night, just as the moon rose, he grew quiet and kept murmuring to himself. Now I can wait. Now I can wait. The attendant came to tell me, so I ran down at once to have a look at him. He was still in the straight waistcoat and in the padded room, but the suffused look had gone from his face, and his eyes had something of their old pleading. I might almost say cringing softness. I was satisfied with his present condition and directed him to be relieved. The attendants hesitated, but finally carried out my wishes with protest. It was a strange thing that the patient had humor enough to see their distrust, for coming close to me, he said in a whisper, all the while looking furtively at them, They think I could hurt you. Fancy me hurting you, the fools. It was soothing somehow to the feelings to find myself... To find myself dissociated even in the mind of this poor madman from the others. But all the same, I do not follow his thought. Am I to take it that I have anything in common with him so that we are, as it were, to stand together? Or has he to gain from me some good so stupendous that my well-being is needful to him? I must find out later on. Tonight, he will not speak. Even the offer of a kitten or even a full-grown cat will not tempt him. He will only say, I don't take any stock in cats. I have more to think of now, and I can wait. I can wait. After a while, I left him. The attendant tells me that he was quiet until just before dawn, and that then he began to get uneasy and at length violent, until at last he fell into a paroxysm. There's that word again, mm-hmm. which exhausted him so that he swooned into a sort of coma. And that's what the kids are calling it these days. <laughs> <laughs> Three nights has the same thing happened violent all day, then quiet from moonrise to sunset or sunrise. I wish I could get some clue to the cause. It would almost seem as if there was some influence which came and went. You don't say. Happy thought. We shall tonight play sane wits against mad ones. Is that really a good idea? <laughs> he escaped before without our help. Tonight, he shall escape with it. We, we shall give him a chance and have the men ready to follow in case they are required. Yeah, that's going to go well. Uh-huh. 23 August. The unexpected always happens. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) Shocker. Deep. deep. How well Disraeli knew life. Our bird, when he found the cage open, would not fly. So all our subtle arrangements were for naught. At any rate, we have proved one thing, that the spells of quietness last a reasonable time. We shall, in future, be able to ease his bonds for a few hours each day. I have given orders to the night attendant merely to shut him in the padded room when once he is quiet until an hour before sunrise. The poor soul's body will enjoy the relief even if his mind cannot appreciate it. Hark, the unexpected again. 
I am called. The patient has once more escaped. (laughs) Seriously, he is the worst doctor ever. 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 (laughs) I love how he, he takes the, he's taking the time to write. I am being called on. I, I have to, he writes that before he goes to chase after the patient. Yeah. It's not afterward. I got called away. It's, I am being called away. Let me write this down before yeah. I go. patient has once more escaped, and I am spending precious moments dictating this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <sighs> Later, another night adventure. Renfield artfully waited until the attendant was entering the room to inspect. Then he dashed out past him and flew down the passage. I sent word for the attendants to follow. Again, he went into the grounds of the deserted house, and we found him in the same place, pressed against the old chapel door. When he saw when he saw me, he became furious, and had not the attendants seized him in time, he would have tried to kill me. As we were holding him, a strange thing happened. He suddenly redoubled his efforts, and then he as suddenly grew calm. I looked round instinctively, but could see nothing. Then I caught the patient's eye and followed it, but could trace nothing as it looked into the moonlit sky except a big bat, which was flapping its silent and ghostly way to the west. Bats usually wheel and flit about, but this one seemed to go straight on as if it knew where it was bound for or had some intention of its own. The patient grew calmer every instant and presently said, You needn't tie me. I shall go quietly. Yeah, right. Without trouble, we came back to the house. I feel there is something ominous in his calm and shall not forget this night. (laughs) Lucy Westenra's Diary. Hillingham, 24 August. I must imitate Mina and keep writing things down. Then we can have long talks when we do meet. I wonder when it will be. I wish she were with me again, for I feel so unhappy. Last night, I seemed to be dreaming again, just as I was at Whitby. Perhaps it is the change of air or getting home again. It is all dark and horrid for me, for I can remember nothing. But I am full of vague fear, and I feel so weak and worn out. When Arthur came to lunch, he looked quite grieved when he saw me. And Girl, I you're looking rough. <laughs> and I hadn't the spirit to try to be cheerful. I wonder if I could sleep in Mother's room tonight. I shall make an excuse and try. 25 August Another bad night. Mother did not seem to take to my proposal. She seems not too well herself, and doubtless she fears to worry me. I tried to keep awake and succeeded for a while, but when the clock struck twelve, it waked me from a doze, so I must have been falling asleep. There was a sort of scratching or flapping at the window, but I did not mind it, and as I remember no more, I suppose I must have been falling asleep. More bad dreams. I wish I could remember them. This morning I am horribly weak. My face is ghastly pale, and my throat pains me. It must be something wrong with my lungs, for I don't seem ever to get enough air. I shall try to cheer up when Arthur comes, or else I know he will be miserable to see me so. Okay, now I'm going to be Arthur for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Letter, Arthur Holmwood to Dr. Seward, Albemarle Hotel, 31 August. My By dear the way, Jack, I used to live on Albemarle Street back in Boston. Yeah, there's an Albemarle Street very close to me in D.C. There you go. My dear Jack, I want you to do me a favor. Lucy is ill. That is, she has no special disease, but she looks awful and is getting worse <laughs> every day. I have asked her if there's any cause. I do not dare to ask her mother, for to disturb that poor lady's mind about her daughter in her present state of health would be fatal. Mrs. Westenra has confided to me that her doom is spoken, disease of the heart, though poor Lucy does not know it yet. I'm sure there's something preying on my dear girl's mind. I am almost distracted when I think of her. To look at her, she gives me a pang. I told her I should ask <laughs> to see you. And she, though she demurred at first, I know why, old fellow. Nudge, nudge. She finally <laughs> consented. It'll be a painful task for you, I know, old friend, but it's for her sake. And I must not hesitate to ask or you to act. Oh, you're really? to come. Oh, yeah. worst friend ever. Right. You're to come to lunch at Hillingham tomorrow, two o'clock, so as not to arouse any suspicion in Mrs. Westenra. And after lunch, Lucy will take an opportunity of being alone with you. I'll, oh. come in for, I'll come in for tea and we can go away together. I am filled with anxiety and I want to consult with you alone as soon as I can, as, as soon as I can after you have seen her. Do not fail, Arthur. <laughs> Telegram, Arthur Holmwood to Seward, 1 September. Am summoned to see my father who was worse. Am writing, write me fully by tonight's post to ring. Wire me if necessary. Especially if it tingles. <laughs> Letter from Dr. Seward to Arthur Holmwood, 2 September. My dear old fellow, with regard to Miss Westenra's health, I hasten to let you know at once that in my opinion, there is not any functional disturbance or any malady that I know of. At the same time, I am not by any means satisfied with her appearance. She is woefully different from what she was when I saw her last. Of course, you must bear in mind that I did not have full opportunity of examination, such as I should wish. Uh -huh. Wink, wink. <laughs> Our very That's friend, like doctor and nurse. <laughs> Our very friendship makes a little difficulty, which not even medical science or custom can bridge over. Mm -hmm. I had better tell you exactly what happened, leaving you to draw in a measure your own conclusions. I shall then say what I have done and propose doing. I found Miss Westenra in seemingly gay spirits. Her mother was present, and in a few seconds I made up my mind that she was trying all she knew to mislead her mother and prevent her from being anxious. I have no doubt she guesses, if she does not know, what need of caution there is. We lunched alone, and as we all exerted ourselves to be cheerful, we got, as some kind of reward for our labors, some real cheerfulness amongst us. Is that all code? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> then Miss West the tea. Then Mrs. Westenruff went to lie down, and Lucy was left with me. Here we go. Mm, bounce, bounce, yep, bounce. cue the music. We went into her boudoir, oh, and till we got there, her gaiety remained, for the servants were coming and going. As soon as the door was closed, however, the mask fell from her face, and she sank down into a chair with a great sigh, and hid her eyes with her hand. When I saw that her high spirits had failed, I at once took advantage of her reaction to make diet. Uh, to make a diagnosis, she said to me very sweetly, I cannot tell you how I love talking about myself. <laughs> Excuse me, something sure. got stuck Bullshit. in my throat. 
I reminded her that a doctor's confidence was sacred, but that you were grievous, grievously anxious about her. She caught on to my meaning at once and settled that matter in a word. Tell Arthur everything you choose. I do not care for myself, but all for him. So I am quite free. I could easily see that she is somewhat bloodless, for I could not see the usual anemic signs, and by a chance I was actually able to test the quality of her blood, for in opening a window which was stiff, a cord gave way, and she cut her hand slightly with broken glass. Huh? What? Okay, so she's trying to open a window which and was the stiff. And, and somehow she goes from that to broken glass. And a cord gave way. The well, sash windows have windows cords in them. Cords. But that shouldn't make the glass break. Right. Okay. That's that's just a, a rope that breaks. All right, move on. Okay. <laughs> it was a slight matter in itself, but it gave me an evident chance, and I secured a few drops of the blood and have analyzed them. The qualitative analysis gives a quite normal condition and shows, I should infer, in itself a vigorous state of health. In other physical matters, I was quite satisfied that there is no need for anxiety. But as there must be a cause somewhere, I have come to the conclusion that it must be something mental. Oh, she's hysterical. Ay, ay, ay. And it, isn't it always like whatever specialty the doctor is, mm -hmm. that's what... Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <sighs> Perhaps he ought to offer her some of his morphine. Oh. Coral, baby. Yeah. She complains of difficulty in breathing satisfactorily at times and of heavy lethargic sleep with dreams that frighten her, but regarding which she can remember nothing. She says that as a child, she used to walk in her sleep and that when in Whitby, the habit came back and that once she walked out in the night and went to the East Cliff where Miss Murray found her. But she assures me that, that, assures me that of late, the habit has not returned. I am in doubt, and so have done the best thing I know of. I have written to my old friend and master, Professor Van Helsing of, dun, dun, dun. of Amsterdam, <laughs> who knows as much about obscure diseases as anyone in the world. I have asked him to come over, and as you told me that all things were to be at your charge, I have mentioned to him who you are and your relations to Miss Weston. <laughs> oh, words, and, uh, you'll be getting the, the bill. bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This, my dear fellow, is in obedience to your wishes. You asked for it, for I am only too proud and happy to do anything I can for her. Van Helsing would, I know, do anything for me for a personal reason, so no matter on what ground he comes, we must accept his wishes. He is a seemingly arbitrary man, but this is because he knows what he is talking about better than anyone else. Is he fangirling? He is mm -hmm. totally fangirling. He is a philosopher and a metaphysician and one of the most advanced scientists of his day. And he has, I believe, an absolutely open mind. Oh, God, I'm ha I'm so like pandemic triggered with this shit, <laughs> right? This with an iron nerve, a temper of the icebrook, an indomitable resolution, self-command and toleration exalted from virtues to blessings and the kindliest and truest heart that beats. These form his equipment for the noble work that he is doing for mankind, work both in theory and practice, for his views are as wide as his all-embracing sympathy. Dude, seriously. Yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> I feel like I'm reading Twitter about Elon Musk. Wow. <laughs> I tell you these facts Swipe that you right. may know. You may know why I have such confidence in him. I have asked him to come at once. I shall see Miss Westenra tomorrow again. She is to meet me at the stores so that I may not alarm her mother by too early a repetition of my call. Aren't Yours, you engaged? Right. Yours always, John Seward. And here we go with a letter, Abraham Van Helsing, MD, doctor of philosophy, doctor of literature, et cetera, et cetera. Can that get any more pretentious? To Dr. Seward, to September. And yes, I, it is going to be a French accent. I don't care. <laughs> I'm, I'm stealing myself. <laughs> My good friend, when I have received your letter, I am already coming to you. By good fortune, I can leave just at once without uh, wrong to any of those who have trusted me. Were fortune other, then it were bad for all those who have trusted. For I come to my friend when he call me to aid those he holds dear. Tell your friend that when... Uh, when that time you suck off my... my Start over, God! You suck from my wound so swiftly the poison of the gangrene from the knife that our friend, other friend, too nervous, let sleep. You did more for him when he wants my aids, and you call for them uh, than all his great fortune could do. But it is a pleasure added to do for him, your friend. It is to you that I come. Have then the rooms for me near the Great Eastern Hotel, so that I may be near to hand and please it so arranged that we may see the young lady not too late on the tomorrow, for it is likely that I may have to return here that night. But if need be, I shall come again in three days and stay longer if it must. Till then, goodbye, my friend John Van Helsing. Okay, I have a question. How far apart? How far away is Van Helsing? They're, because these guys are in London, right? Yes, and he's in Amsterdam. And so he might just show up for a day trip and then return that evening? Uh, Possibly. Okay. I, I mean, it, he, you know, it, it would take him a, a certain amount of time to get from Amsterdam to London, but he could just stay the day in London and then catch the train to the boat back to Amsterdam and it would still take okay. him a long time to get back there but yeah okay all right I didn't know that there was that much uh availability or mm. whatever I'm not sure oh, the yeah. right no, there wording be, I'm looking for yeah yeah uh, mobility okay. and yeah. opportunity I want to hear to more travel. about the wound sucking but we're, we're I think we're gonna just let <laughs> uh, that go especially yeah. because they got take to let the tide gangrene? take that yeah it was a gangrene on the knife yeah this ugh. <laughs> also, that's not how it works. But anyway, carry right. on. Okay. Letter, Dr. Seward to Honorable Arthur Holmwood. Is that the first time we've had him called Honorable? Mm, Maybe. Possibly. Okay. Possibly. 3 September. My dear Art, Van Helsing has come and gone. He came on with me to Hillingham and found that, by Lucy's discretion, her mother was lunching out so that we were alone with her. My mom's gone. <laughs> come on in, you guys. Van Helsing made a very careful examination of the patient. He is to report to me, and I shall advise you, for of course I was not present all the time. He is, I fear, much concerned, but says he must think. 
When I told him of our friendship and how you trust to me in the matter, he said, You must tell him all you think. Tell him what I think, if you can guess it, if you will. <laughs> Nay, I am not jesting. This is no jest, but life and death, perhaps more. <laughs> I'm not jesting, though. <laughs> Wait, he's saying try to guess? Yeah. He's turning this into a guessing game? Okay. I asked what he meant by that, for he was very serious. This was when we had come back to town, and he was having a cup of tea before starting on his return to Amsterdam. He would not give me any further clue. You must not be angry with me, Art, because his very reticence means that all his brains are working for her good. The little graces. He will speak plainly enough when the time comes, be sure. So I told him I would simply write an account of our visit, just as if I were doing a descriptive special article for the Daily Telegraph. No! No, 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 no. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> he seemed not to notice, but remarked that the smuts in London were not quite so bad as they used to be when he was a student here. I am to get his report tomorrow, if he can possibly make it. In any case, I am to have a letter. Well, as to the visit, Lucy was more cheerful than on the day I first saw her and certainly looked better. She had lost something of the ghastly look that so upset you, and her breathing was normal. She was very sweet to the professor, as she always is, and tried to make him feel at ease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Though I could see that the poor girl was making a hard struggle for it. God, my brain is so in the gutter. Oh. I believe Van Helsing. I believe Van Helsing saw it too, for I saw the quick look under his bushy brows that I knew of old. How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> then he began to chat of all things except ourselves and diseases, and with such an infinite geniality that I could see poor Lucy's pretense of animation merge into reality. Then, without any seeming change, he brought the conversation gently round to his visit and suavely said, My dear young miss, I have so great pleasure because you are so much beloved. That is much, my dear, even ever were there that which I do not see. They told me you were down in the spirit and that you were of ghastly pale. To them, I say, and he snapped his fingers at me and went on. But you and I shall show them how wrong they are. How can he... And he pointed at me with the same look and gesture as that with which once he pointed me out to his class on, or rather after, a particular occasion which he never fails to remind me of. What a how dick. Could... <laughs> how could he know anything of young ladies? <laughs> He has his madmans to play with and to bring them back to happiness and to those that love them. It is much to do, and but there are rewards in that we can bestow such happiness. But the young ladies, <laughs> he has no wife, he's no daughter, uh, and the young do not tell themselves to the young, but to the old like me who have known so many sorrows and the causes of them. So, my dear, we will send him away to smoke the little cigarette in the garden whilst you and I have a little talk all to ourselves. Brother. I took the hint and strolled about, and presently the professor came to the window and called me in. He looked grave, but said, I have made the careful examination 
but there is no functional cause. Huh? With you, I agree there has been much blood lost. It has been, but is not. But the conditions of her are in no way anemic. I have asked her to send me a maid that I may ask just one or two questions. Okay, Colombo. <laughs> That's so I may not chance to miss nothing. Like, uh, you know, it's, anyway, it has to do with the under thing that you don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. I know well what she will say. And yet there is cause. There is always cause for everything. I must go back home and think. You must send to me the telegram every day. And if there be cause, I shall come again. The disease, for not to be all well, is a disease. Interest me. And the sweet young dear, she interests me too. Huh? She charmed me. And for <laughs> her, if not for you or disease, I come. As I tell you, he would not say a word more, even when he were alone. And so now, Art, you know all I know. I shall keep stern watch. I trust your poor father is rallying. It must be a terrible thing to you, my dear old fellow, to be placed in such a position between two people who are both so dear to you. I know your idea of duty to your father, and you are right to stick to it. But if need be... I shall send you word to come at once to Lucy, so do not be over-anxious unless you hear from me. Dr. Seward's Diary for September. Zophagus, Zophagus. Zophagus, patient, still keeps up our interest in him. He had only one outburst, and that was yesterday at an unusual time. Just before the stroke of noon, he began to grow restless. The attendant knew the symptoms and at once summoned aid. Fortunately, the men came at a run and were just in time, for at the stroke of noon, he became so violent that it took all their strength to hold him. In about five minutes, however, he began to get more and more quiet and finally sank into a sort of melancholy in which state he has remained up to now. The attendant tells me that his screams whilst in the paroxysm, I'll know that word by the end, were (laughs) really appalling. I found my hands full when I got in, attending to some of the other patients who were frightened by him. Indeed, I can quite understand the effect, for the sounds disturbed even me, though I was some distance away. It is now after the dinner hour of the asylum, and as yet my patient sits in a corner, brooding with a dull, sullen, woebegone look in his face, which seems rather to indicate than to sh- seems rather to indicate than to show something directly. I cannot quite understand it. Later, another change in my patient. At five o'clock, I looked in on him and found him seemingly as happy and contented as he used to be. He was catching flies and eating them, and was keeping note of his capture by making nail marks on the edge of the door between the ridges of padding. When he saw me, he came over and apologized for his bad conduct, and asked me in a very humble, cringing way to be led back to his own room and to have his notebook again. I thought it well to humor him, so he is, so he is back in yes, his room. I- with the window open because he doesn't have a habit of running away so that makes sense 
He has the sugar of his tea spread out on the windowsill and is reaping quite a harvest of flies. He is not now eating them, but putting them in a box as of old and is already examining the quarter, the corners of his room to find a spider. I tried to get him to talk about the past few days, for any clue to his thoughts would be of immense help to me, but he would not rise. For a moment or two, he looked very sad and said in a sort of faraway voice as though saying it rather to himself than me. All over, all over, he has deserted me. No hope for me now unless I do it myself. Then suddenly turning to me in a resolute way, he said, Doctor, won't you be very good to me and let me have a little more sugar? I think it would be good for me. And the flies, I said. Yes, the flies like it too. And I like the flies, therefore I like it. And there are people who know so little as to think that madmen do not argue. I procured him a double supply and left him as happy as a, a man, I suppose, any in the world. I wish I could fathom his mind. Midnight. Another change. I had been to see Miss Westenra, whom I found much better, and had just returned and was standing... Wait, he was visiting Lucy and gets back at midnight? Well, you know, it's well, a long okay. walk. Or he's writing at midnight. Okay. Maybe he... You're giving him okay. a lot of benefit. Of okay. <laughs> um, okay. Just returned and was standing at our own gate looking at the sunset. There you go. Gate. There we go. When once more I heard him yelling. As his room is on the side of the house, I could hear it better than in the morning. It was a shock to me to turn from the wonderful smoky beauty of a sunset over London. <laughs> With its lurid lights and inky shadows and all the marvelous tints that come on foul clouds, even as on foul water, and to realize all the grim sternness of my own cold stone building and its wealth of breathing misery and my own desolate heart to endure it all. I reached him just as the sun was going down and from his window saw the red disc sink. As it sank, he became less and less frenzied, and just as it dipped, he slid from the hands that held him an inert mass on the floor. It is wonderful, however, what intellectual recuperative power lunatics have, for within a few minutes he stood up quite calmly and looked around him. I signaled to the attendants not to hold him, for I was anxious to see what he would do. Another really stupid decision brought to you by Dr. Seward. <laughs> he went straight over to the window and brushed out the crumbs of sugar. Then he took his fly box and emptied it outside and threw away the box. Then he shut the window and crossing over sat down on his bed. All this surprised me. So I asked him, are you not going to keep flies anymore? No. He said, I am sick of all that rubbish. He certainly is a wonderfully interesting study. I wish I could get some glimpse of his mind or the cause of his sudden passion. You're the doctor. That's what you're there to <laughs> That's do. That's your one job. <laughs> Stop. There may be a clue after all. If we can find why today his paroxysms came on at high noon and at sunset, can it be that there is a malign influence of the sun at periods which affect certain natures? as at times the moon does others, 
we shall see. You're so close, dude. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting warmer. (laughs) Telegram, Seward, London, to Van Helsing, Amsterdam, 4 September. Patient still better today. Telegram, Seward, London, to Van Helsing, Amsterdam, 5 September. Patient greatly improved. Good appetite. Sleeps naturally. Good spirits. Color coming back. Well, this is all excellent news. <laughs> Telegram, Seward, London, to Van Helsing, Amsterdam, 6 September. Terrible change for the worse. God Come at once. It. Do not lose an hour. I hold over Telegram to Homewood till have seen you. And I think that's where we're going to stick a safety pin in it for today. (laughs) God damn it, Kim. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, what's coming up tomorrow? Well, it's a whole bunch of this is not how you do the thing because Dr. Seward and Van Helsing are clearly gunning for a major medical malpractice suit. Also, Lucy is picky about flowers. Oh, Oh, excellent. That's going to be interesting and probably right on par. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash drunk mythology gals. That's right. October. We have drunk Dracula gals tier for $1. You can get all of these Dracula episodes as soon as we drop them. But wait, there's more. Lies. You, You also get access to all our other Lit Crit Hour episodes. That's right. And thanks again for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating, a review, and tell your friends and family about us, especially if they're like, hey, you see that guy over there? He has no clue what to do with the ladies. But if you ever have a little wound or something that you need sucked, especially if that's gangrene, he's your Uh, guy. God, (laughs) why? Because I can. Finally, always remember, if the undead can behave badly, so can you. 